1: Hello, and welcome to the bestseller experiment where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish, and publish your book. I'm Mark Stay. And
0: I'm Mark DeVoe.
1: before we dive in, we'd like to thank all of our incredible
0: listeners. That's you listening right now, and especially if you're a patron who's supporting this podcast or an Academy, Bestseller Academy. And Mark, I'm very excited to announce that we're opening the Academy doors on the 1st of July this year and Ooh. there are a couple of weeks left for people to put in their applications so if you're interested in joining the academy getting mark as our, your coach uh, and myself as your coach as well and upping your game as a writer and getting the accountability and supporting this podcast because that's what the academy does as well pop along to academybot.bestsellerexperiment.com. mark we have an exciting show today don't we
1: we really do. Uh, we've got a legend returning back to the podcast. It's uh, it's, it's it's really good stuff. Uh, someone who who basically helped get this podcast started as well. Someone who, who uh, I think the first person I actually interviewed for uh, the podcast at GalantzFest way way back in the day. Uh, so and it was great to get get that that legend on but yeah don't want to spoil anything yet although of course if you've downloaded it and seen her name you'll know who it is so we
0: do this like every that. week don't we it's actually in the title of the podcast but we like to create the mystery and suspense you never know someone might just press the button and if you have if you've just yeah, yeah, yeah. discovered this podcast exactly. and you're like who are these two english blokes whittering on about something well just wait and see who we've got as a special guest this week brilliant stuff so how are you doing mark how's life
1: it's good it's uh less than a month now until the launch of uh the ghost of ivy barn which is Ooh. the third Witches of woodville book so i'm doing all those things that most normal authors do before a book is published i've i've ordered cake toppers um i've scripted Important. my unboxing video i've got a costume you know all the normal stuff um yeah i'm sure i haven't forgotten anything but yes it's uh <laughs> yeah looking forward to it getting excited just sent a newsletter out and preparing for the launch we're having a launch party at uh water Stands in canterbury on the 7th of july you're all welcome i'll put a link in the show notes it's going to be fun we're going to have uh wizards there the author kit cox is going to be introducing me we're looking into online streaming solutions if you can't make it or if you're overseas so keep keep watching my uh social media for that um so that's going to be lots of fun too um so yeah i'm looking forward to it. it's going to be great Ooh, what would an
0: author think from the 50s who was like transported seventy years <laughs> in the future, and comparing a book launch back then to a book launch today, we really have made made a lot of progress, and in surreal ways as well. I think isn't it fascinating how things have changed over over the years? But uh, it's great. I mean, you've done it. You've, how many how many launches have you done now? This is you're, you're becoming a bit of a,
1: a, a dab hand at this. Well, it's only my second in-person book launch because of course two of the books came out during lockdown you know but i've done i've done streaming ones which have been been good fun but of course the thing that's important now is we've now realized there is a whole audience out there for streaming launches you know and they're very important so and also there are people who can't get out of house for whatever reason or, or mm. you know uh, and need to stay at home or need to to shelter or, or whatever. So, you know, or on we, other we're looking side, into the side that we of can... the
0: globe as well, right? I mean, that, side sure, of the, world, yeah. the international yeah, yeah, yeah. side of things, yeah. 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 It's fascinating. Mm. I think I mean, I I said this back through through the the COVID podcasts. We should probably call them as a series. Yes. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I always yeah. used to say, didn't yeah. I? I wonder what the good things are that will come out of the challenges of COVID. And I'm I'm seeing that in so many walks of life now that people are, we're keeping a lot of things like we're keeping, Mm -hmm. we're keeping online launches combined with live launches. We're keeping masks in doctor surgeries, you know, which makes a lot of sense Um, and, and all good stuff like that. So yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And then, and now the big thing for a lot of people and as writers who work from home, they might, they might like uh, agree with this, is that there's a big challenge of companies saying to employees, right, you have to come back to work. Or oh, if you don't yeah. come back to work in the office, we're not going to pay you a full salary. Or, I mean, I even read the other day that Tessa said if you don't come into the office, um, you're basically agreeing that we're terminating your contract. I'm like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> mm. So, what a great yeah. opportunity for writers today. If you wanna, if you're if you're listening to podcasts thinking that my dream is to become a full-time writer, it might also be spurred on by the fact that you've been working at home the last two years and your employer's saying, right, come on back, you come. And you're like, but actually I quite liked to have that time. You know, (laughs) that commute time was when I used to write. Um, Mm. And we want to hear from people actually, if they're in that situation, like, what are you thinking? Are you torn between this idea of going back to work? Are you happy to go back to work? Or would you love that ideal where you kind of get to choose what you do, whether you stay at home, do a bit of half and half? or go back to the office because I think a lot of people wrote a lot of good words during their full-time job during COVID and not because they were like eating into their eating into their working hours. It's just, they had more time to to write because they weren't, you know, being bugged by everyone every two minutes of the day. And
1: there's a, there's an experiment happening in the UK with, I think it's 200 businesses across the UK are doing a four day week, a four day working week. So they're on the same pay, but they're getting one day a week off. And the idea is, you know, to, to see if they're as productive in four days as they might be in five. And I'd be really interested to see, because I know we've spoken to authors who've done that, They, but they've taken a cut in salary. They said, but I, you know, I have every Friday off or whatever. And I. Use, that's the day that I write. I turn the phone off, turn off the email. I write from morning to, you know, from dusk till dawn. Um, and um, so, yeah, I'd be interested to see if that, freeze people up to to do the things they love yeah you know, if it's writing or making music or well, whatever it is they here's need. a little stat for you 200 word a day
0: challenge right obviously 200 words a day gets you your seventy seventy thousand plus words a year but if you were to write those all on one day on a friday say which was your day when you weren't working you'd have to oh how many would you have to do that's interesting let's have a quick look 52. Man taps calculator yeah. on podcast. 1, it's 3, thrilling yeah. stuff. Thrilling stuff. We should have drum roll. 1403 words on a Friday. Right. Which right. actually, if you had the whole day just to focus on writing, it's yeah. that's that's doable. I mean, it's I very a doable hard yeah. but you know, once you got in the groove of doing it every single week and you had that to look forward to, mm. Friday becomes your writing day in it. And you have you have Saturday to or maybe Monday to Thursday thinking about your plot which comes up in today's interview,
1: doesn't it? Um, I like this idea, 1,400 words a week. If that that appeals to you, uh, we spoke to the author, Sasha Green. That's exactly how she works. I'll put a link in the show Mm. notes to the episode we did with Sasha because that's what she does, and it works for her. Very interesting. Yeah. Ah, Yeah. Love it, love it, love it. Brilliant
0: stuff. So, Mr. (laughs) Stay, I'm too excited. I just want to get into this interview. Let's (laughs) let's introduce our uh, quite well-known guest
1: this week, the incredible Joanne Harris. Yes, we welcome Joanne Harris back to the podcast. Well, where do you start with Joanne? Well, you can start with episode four of the bestseller experiment, where she took us through her early career and gave some really inspiring advice. And I'll put a link in the show notes to that. Joanne is currently the chair of the Society of Authors, and she's on the board of the Authors Licensing and Collecting Society, ALCS. Uh, And only last week, uh, on the day that I interviewed her live on stage, actually in Tunbridge Wells, uh, it was announced that she would be receiving the OBE Uh, the Order of the British Empire, for services to literature. So, yeah, fantastic news. But, of course, she's a multi-million selling, award-winning author, writing across many genres. And she returns with her new novel, A Narrow Door, which is the fourth in the Marbury series, set in St. Oswald's School. And... I read this ahead of the Q&A that I moderated with Joanne last week, and it's so good. It's such a page turner. It, it keeps you guessing right to, right to the end. It's it's such a treat. So we discuss writing in different genres, uh, tips for authors at festivals, and the role that reading out loud plays in her process. And she answers listeners' questions and much, 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 much more. You're in for a real treat, folks. Brilliant stuff. Well, let's dive in and listen to
0: Mark chatting with the wonderful and wisdom-filled
1: Joanne Harris. Joanne Harris, welcome back to the bestseller experiment. How are you today?
2: very well thank you thank you for inviting
1: me back oh it's our absolute pleasure and it's very exciting because we're here to discuss your new novel A Narrow Door which is the fourth in the Mulberry series set in St Oswald's school and the school has a new headmistress Rebecca Buckfast and it's opening its gates to female students this feels very timely tell us can you tell us about A Narrow Door please Joanne
2: well, i was i i've always had a fondness for st oswalds but i've always felt also that it was it was destined to change and uh last year at least in st oswalds terms there was a bit of an overhaul um a crisis team was brought in to fix the failing grammar school um and a part of it stayed and this part is rebecca buckfast who has become the head, the new head, that the first headmistress the school has ever had since its uh, its existence in the 16th century. And dear old Roy Straitly, who is my returning hero, the Latin master who is constantly on the verge of retirement, but who can't quite get himself to retire, uh, is finding this his greatest challenge yet. Girls in the school, a woman at the helm. What next? Well, what <laughs> next is that a group of his boys find what seem to be human remains on the building site, which is to be one of the grand new buildings that the head has planned for the school. And, and the, 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 the body has a story. Now, Straitly, of course, goes directly to the head, knowing that any new scandal on the top of the scandals that have preceded this may well topple the school anyway and he is surprised and disconcerted to find that not only does she not seem that surprised but she seems to know a lot more about this this rather ancient bundle of human remains than is is good for anybody concerned and so as the story begins to unravel from her perspective it becomes clear that there is a great deal more in her past than we know. And this past also includes various key personnel at St Oswald's, including Straitly himself, tangentially at least, and cites a bit of a, a story within a story, or several stories, in fact, which open up like layers in an onion, revealing finally the uh, the truth at the heart of the mystery.
1: Wonderful stuff. What is it about the Mulberry series and, and St Oswald's that, that keeps you coming back is there a kind of a particular itch that you're scratching when you write these books
2: well you know I think it's my homeopathic dose of being a teacher just to remind <laughs> me why I left I was I was a teacher for over 15 years I was good at it I loved it I get the feeling that I left at just the right time because it's getting increasingly hard to be a teacher nowadays uh, even in the independent sector which which I left um just when I think the direct grant system had been abolished, so there was still an element of fairness to it. So I'm, I'm still kind of mostly rooted in the 80s and 90s in my teaching memory, which is why these books are set at that time. Mm. Um, but I'm still very fond of those memories, and I still have a lot of stories to tell, which, although not directly based on things that really happened, have a certain amount to do with, with my own experience.
1: Mm. I just on a personal note, I want to thank you for your story about the boy who dropped the crisp packet that you shared on Twitter think, <laughs> last week because my my parents were school cleaners my dad was a school caretaker then he left and mum became the school caretaker and she also had had to have a second job cleaning offices in town and I would go with her after school. And, you know, we go in these offices and people would just leave their mugs out, you know, and they were, they'd been left there for hours and they were stained. And it's, it was the attitude of, Oh, we have people to do that sort of thing. It's all, well, yeah, but if you took it to the kitchen, it wouldn't take us twice as bloody long to do it. So I, I really, um, for those who didn't see the tweet, could you share that story with us, please?
2: oh, this was absolutely a real story. There was no fiction about this at all. It was when I just arrived at Leeds Grammar School, which was the, uh, the template for St. Oswald's. And I'd come from the state sector and I was still a very young and female member of staff. And so nobody paid much attention to me. And boy, dropped a crisp packet right in front of me in the corridor. So I challenged him and said, what, what do you think you're doing? Pick that up and put it in a bin. And he looked at me and said, oh, miss, we have, we have cleaners to do that. And so I put him in detention um initially for one night but he was so bad about it that i put him in detention for the rest of the week and every day he would go to my classroom uh with uh, basically cleaning scrubs on and he would make the cleaner a cup of tea and she would sit there and watch as he picked up all the litter and i thought it was a salutary lesson because these these boys they were all paying to be at the school but i didn't mean to say that they were paying to to treat other people as if they didn't matter and as if their work didn't matter, and from that I got the reputation of not only being a head case that you didn't want to mess with, but also <laughs> having a bit of a be in my bonnet about litter. And so my room was always absolutely litter-free, and and no boy would would leave litter around his desk or on the floor in case I went mental again. And it was it was very good for everybody, I think.
1: <laughs> <laughs> very very good, excellent. Now with the um. With this series, the Mulberry series, these are thrillers. There's always a mystery at the heart of these. Are you approaching that any differently to the other genres? Because you write contemporary fiction, historical fiction, fantasy fiction. Are, are you writing, approaching this in a in a different way to those those other genres? Are you thinking, right, I'm in thriller mode now?
2: Not really. Not the way you would expect me to. Partly because they're quite unusual thrillers anyway. Uh, they're not procedurals. They don't involve detectives. They don't have that structure. But also, the more I write, the more I realise that pretty much all my books have this thriller element, this element of reversal and suspense and surprise. So there's just a bit more of it with these books. But no, I don't think of them being as as different, really, as some people think, because, I mean, I've, I've never been a great fan of putting books into genre compartments anyway, and I think that my books particularly spill over into quite a a lot of different genres, if you like. Um, I think of them mostly as psychological stories where the past plays a very great role. And and that's actually true of pretty much everything that I write anyway. In this case, particularly, and in this case, there is a murder at the heart of it, as there has been with the other books. But it's, it's not, to me, a kind of classic thriller investigative novel it's it's much more an unpicking of why somebody is as they are why they would behave the way they do what damage there is in their past um and why they're still dragging that baggage around with them Mm. and this is true of of all my characters my my villains because buckfast is quite definitely a monster although i like her immensely for many reasons but it's true of straightly too who is the good guy
1: Mm. Mm. and i think that's the thing you've always been um You've never allowed anyone to pin you down. You've never allowed, you. You were never the Chocolat author, no matter how hard people tried. You were never the contemporary fiction author. You've always, you know, avoided that. It, have those choices always been deliberate? If you think, okay, I've done a Mulberry, then I'm going to do something different after that, or are they just coming at you? Are the ideas coming at you? Just you're writing them as they come, so to
2: speak. Well, I find that my my process is cyclic and takes several years to form. And so it's not really so much a question of, oh, I will do a Mulberry book next or I will do a Chocolat book next. But I find that it's a little bit like... Um, a spacecraft orbiting a solar system, I will take a number of years to make an orbit and I will go to a certain place. And (laughs) I know that I'm rhythmically and temperamentally in a certain zone. And so I'm in a, a a chocolat zone or I'm in a Morbury zone or I'm in that kind of weird little hinterland where pretty much anything could happen zone. Um, so it, it does take me a long time. it's not it's not as if my bringing out a book a year means that I'm writing a book a year at that speed. It doesn't always mean that because very often I will be working on more than one thing at once. and so I'll start something I'll give it time to to percolate. I will work on something else during that time. And then after an interval of maybe four or five years, the book will emerge and it will have taken it all that time mm. to, to get to that point. So it, it's not a conscious process, but it is, I think, a rhythmic, organic process which just has to do with my mental state and the slowness of my, my process and my thinking and having to work out these these intricate plots and 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 also surprise myself in the in the writing of them which to me is quite important.
1: Mm. So are you does there come a point you're allowing these sort of ideas to orbit in your solar system they're slowly ideas are sort of glomming onto them is that does there come a point where you think now the time is right?
2: Sometimes yes sometimes there is a kind of little catharsis and sometimes it's much more a question of having ideas, pulling them together in the dark, thinking, what shape is this? What story am I telling? Where is it? I mean, to me, the where of it is quite an important thing, because I wouldn't be able to write a chocolat story in Morbury. It wouldn't work. It it would have a different colour palette. It would have different social and cultural filters over it. And so I know quite early on when something is going to be set, where it's going to be set, because those things are integral parts of building the story anyway Mm. um so yes i I suppose you could say that does happen
1: wonderful stuff let's give a quick plug as well because your book 10 things about writing which i have on my phone there we go so i can take it with me everywhere and it's one i dip into an awful lot um the only disadvantage with the ebook is it jumps you straight to the introduction and i've i hadn't realized till now there's a cartoon at the very front and it's an oh, yes. illustration there
2: are mussolaine cartoons a and Moussel- they're
1: terrific exactly right at the front It says andrea she's sitting on the sofa with the remote control she says andrea dreams of getting a novel serialized one day if she can be bothered to write it. So what, what, what was a lot of listeners will be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what was the motivation behind 10? Because you do these wonderful 10 things about tweet, Twitter threads, and you're still doing them now, and they're really wonderful. Where where did the idea for the book come from?
2: Well, people kept telling me that I should put my Twitter threads into a book. They've been telling me this for for I don't know how many years I've been doing Twitter threads like this, maybe 10 years. And I've always felt that, you know, they were they were just bits of Twitter fun and they were in response normally to questions. And a lot of writers on Twitter. And I found that I was getting a lot of the same questions. And so I thought, okay, I'll make this a bit more formalized. And I will keep a little database of them. And people kept saying, oh, no, you should make it a book. You should make it a book. And I thought, really, really? No, I don't think so. I don't have time. And then lockdown happened. And suddenly, time was a slightly different thing. And I found also that many people who were locked down were using the opportunity to look at perhaps either finishing a book they'd started or writing the book that they had all wanted to write. Sometimes get a lot more. Inquiries about how to do that, and I thought, okay, maybe this is the time I can do it. And so I got in touch with a, a small press, September Press, because small presses needed a lot of support at that time too. And I, I said, you yeah, would you be interested in this? And they said, would we ever? And so they brought it out initially as an ebook, so that so that it could be available almost immediately. Mm. Um, so that people in lockdown could use it and benefit from it right then. And then it came out in hardback the next year. And and I did an audiobook too, where where I do the narration, if people like audiobooks. Mm. Um so yeah, it was really that. It was about circumstances and what I felt to be a visible demand and also just supporting people at a difficult time because you know, God help us, the arts is in a bad enough way as it is, we, we need to stick together.
1: Mm absolutely we we normally ask um our guests how their lockdown was uh but then in December 2020 on top of all the usual lockdown woes you announced that you had uh breast cancer which um would be you know is is the news no one wants to hear
2: well quite uh, what
1: what did that do to your world and in particular your writing world because You know, you're, as you say, you're working on ideas. You've got ideas going around in solar systems. You know, you've got, we're always thinking of the future writers. We're thinking of the next book. We're thinking of the book after that. Did it change your perspective on any of that? Did it change the way you you wrote? Did it bring any projects to the fore?
2: Well, it's interesting because I I felt, I mean, at the time I'd, I'd been saying, well, lockdown hasn't been, Too bad for me because I'm very privileged, because I have space, because I work from home anyway, Mm. uh, because I haven't lost significant amounts of work. From lockdown, and then boom, all of a sudden, I get this this breast cancer diagnosis, which kind of knocked me sideways. I mean, I was lucky in the sense that it was an early diagnosis, mm. and I had very good prospects, you know, to be able to walk away from it quite soon. But I had to go through chemo, and of course, I lost all my hair, and and um, and I was exhausted, and I had brain fog a lot of the time. And I tweeted about this because I felt that. I wasn't alone in this, and there were a lot of other people who might be going through the same thing, and I realised that that was also absolutely true. But thinking about it while it was happening, I remember telling myself repeatedly that, you know what, if you are going to have an embuggerance, as dear old Terry Pratchett used to call it, you might as well have it during lockdown where you don't feel that you're having to cancel a lot of events and basically miss out on things. In In certain ways, the timing of it was... Fortunate timing, if that could be said to be to be true of any any cancer diagnosis. What it did do, it gave me a certain amount of, of fatigue and brain fog. But I didn't stop writing; I, I kept writing throughout. I think I'm one of those people who who tends to escape from problems into fiction, and so it was quite welcome to keep working. Um, I mean, I do look at some of the the first draft things that I did at that time, and I think, well, you know, my brain was only half half. Operating there because I'm missing whole words and bits of sentences out because, right. yeah, that's how brain fog works. But, you know, I, I got through it. And it was also very interesting to see how social media responded because I felt that social media was not only supportive, but also, you know, actually in some way inspirational. I, I've always felt that a lot of my stories, and particularly my school stories, came from the The human contact that I got on a day-to-day basis when I was a teacher. Mm -hmm. And because I can't do that now, um, I get my my human contact from face-to-face appearances with the public, but also with interactions on things like Twitter, which is so responsive and so very much about personal experiences that very often I feel that that's that's where I get my human interactions nowadays. So, mm. so there was that, and that didn't stop, and that was that was very helpful.
1: Good. We're we're recording this on the day that it's been announced that Twitter will be under new management in the near future. Um, so hopefully that won't change too much. Um, we'll we'll have to see how that. Well, progresses. I
2: hope it doesn't. I hope uh, it doesn't. I'm I'm not planning on leaving. No, no. Not not just because of new management, although. Mm. Yes, no no change in that direction is, is particularly good for most people who who like Twitter and genuinely enjoy using it. But, mm. uh, you know, as long as the block button exists, I think I'll be
1: just fine. <laughs> We've got some uh, listener questions for you, Joanne. Uh, actually, the first one, this is the thing that you authors dread at, um, at festivals and conferences where someone says, this isn't a question, it's more of a statement, but it's from Elizabeth Hurley who says... <laughs> Just tell her she's awesome. Um, any any response oh. to that, Joanne?
2: <laughs> well, thank you. It's always nice to have my 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 certainties comforted. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's really nice. Honestly, it's 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 quite rare for for people to come and just say nice things to authors. Very often, you know, people people come when they have a complaint, but they they sort of take it for granted that you. You, you know that they like you. And that's not always true at all. So, yeah. yes, thank you. That's very much appreciated.
1: It, it's the ones who tell you how your book should have ended. They're, they're the fun ones.
2: Ah, um, uh, well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we have a, I have a question from Tanya Scott who says, I, I know Joanna's spoken at a lot of writing festivals. Which would she recommend attending? So if you're a writer and you're looking to to, to get you know, glean some wisdom from authors, any particular festivals worth attending?
2: Well, attending as an author, I would say, you know, always look at what they're paying you and make sure that you're not out of pocket. We had long conversations on Twitter yesterday about this. Some festivals are still not aware that some authors are actually not able to afford to attend because they're not paying them enough to cover their expenses, which is a disgrace, especially when they're asking people to pay for tickets they should be able to cover paying their their contributors if if they can't there's something deeply wrong with their business model mm. um i wouldn't attend as a punter a festival that didn't pay its contributors either mm. because i just think it's it's unfair and and exploitative to do that uh, as a punter um there is some it depends where you are really it depends what you like um As both, as an author and as a a, a person attending festivals, I always enjoy Edinburgh enormously because it's so friendly and diverse and there is something for everybody. Um, It really does depend on what you like. Um, Some festivals have particular audiences because they tend to favour particular kinds of author. Uh, Oxford, for instance, has a lot of cookery writers and military historians because that is their general demographic. Edinburgh is much more all-inclusive and welcoming. I happen to like Dartington because it's just such a pleasant environment and it's such a beautiful place Mm. and it feels like a kind of privilege just to be there although it is an awful schlep there on the train for me. (laughs) Um, But I also like little festivals like Wigtown for instance which is just delightful and the whole community seems to take part in the festival which which to me is is part of the fun of a festival Mm. so really I think it's a question of looking where you are and what you like the look of and who's going there because generally you can tell from the guests who enjoys coming again Mm. and again and feels looked after and that that's important too. Very
1: true very true Uh, Christopher Wells has a question what book would you love to write one day but haven't yet is, is there one out there that's, because you sometimes hear authors saying, I've got an idea for a, a book, but I'm not ready to write it yet. I, I haven't reached a stage in my life or that I haven't figured out what it's about yet. Is is there a, a project out there that's tantalising
2: me out of reach? Oh, well, that's always my case. There's always something like that. There's, because of the way I work, there's always a little bundle of space dust out there that I know is going to be something at some point, but I don't quite know what it is. So, but that—that's the way it works for me. There's, there's always something slightly out of reach because actually, if your—if your your reach exceeds your grasp, then then you're doing something wrong. Um, I did at one point. I wrote uh, a Doctor Who book. I'd love to write a Blake Seven book next. Yes. That's that's my 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 secret <laughs> bucket list. Um, that would be quite nice. I would enjoy doing that in much the same way that I enjoyed doing the Doctor Who book.
1: Brilliant. Oh, let's make that happen. Let's make that happen. Um, Tracy Montague has a question. Well, has several questions. Uh, I'll take a deep breath here. Tracy says... Does Joanne use software such as Pro Writing Aid? Is she a planner or a pantser? How many edits did she do for her last book? Was it a similar number to the first? Her characters are very well drawn. How much pre-book backstory does she have in her characters? Uh, do they just grow as she writes? Tracy says, "Can everyone tell I've been ne- neck deep in editing for the longest time?" So let's break these down, <laughs> shall we? Uh, so, do right. you use do you use software such as Pro Writing Aid or Grammarly to sort of check stuff before you send it off?
2: No, I don't do that. Um, I I, I literally read entrails. Um, I, I don't do any of the software thing. To me, all of that is such a barrier to my organic, natural process that I just can't be bothered with it. It's not particularly that I'm a technophobe. It's that I just don't see what it would offer me, that... Notebooks and pens and just an ordinary Microsoft word will also offer me. And so I I, I think those things to me would be very much of a distraction. Um, when it comes to editing, oh no, I think plotting and pantsing was the next one. Yes. I don't really believe in the distinction between those two things. I think, you know, if you've when you've written as many books as, as I have, it's a little bit like planning lessons. When I was a, a very junior teacher, I used to plan every lesson. Perfectly, And I knew exactly what I was doing. And it would be there in a lesson plan because I was being observed and people would want to look at my lesson plans um, when I wasn't being observed by the time I'd got a sense of rhythm. I could just basically work out my lesson plan while I was humping my bag of books and my satchel of papers from one room to the next. And by the time I got there, I knew what the lesson plan was going to be. Mm. It's a little bit like that. When you get the rhythms of things in your head and, and you can start to get a feel of how the structure of your book is going to work, then you you don't need to be as as architectural a plotter as when you were starting off I mean that's my process some people like to stick to the lesson plan thing because it's 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 comforting Mm -hmm. and it makes them feel that there's there's a structure that they can hang things on which is also fine um nowadays I do a little bit of both I just tend I approach the book with a number of key ideas and events and a general structural trajectory and then I allow the details to fill themselves in in a kind of organic way so basically it's a walk in the woods i know more or less where i'm going but not what i'm going to find on the way which mm. which to me is the way to maintain interest and surprise mm. which to me the element of self surprise particularly when you're writing a thriller is is really important and when it comes to editing i find that i edit as i go along anyway so editing is part of my writing process what i do in the mornings when i start is that i will read aloud the section that i wrote the day before and reading aloud is i think the best editorial tool anybody has i will do a kind of baby adjustment to whatever i have line by line there then i will be in the zone to write which is good it's it's a it's a dual process it's partly getting a bit of editing done and also getting into the headspace. And and, and that's that's generally how I approach editing when I look at a first draft. So by the end of a first draft, usually line by line, it's pretty clean because of the process I use. Then I will look at structure and I'll generally find that there is a certain amount of detailing which needs to be put in structural detailing. sometimes, Sometimes moving events around, sometimes inserting scenes that that need to be there for purposes of characterization or whatever. Um, you asked about characterization also. Mm. Um, with me, it's very much a question of getting to know those characters. So I don't need to have stupendous amounts of backstory. It helps to have it in your head, but I think working it out in any kind of official way tends to tempt people to do a lot of front-loading and info-dumping about their character at the beginning of the book, which is generally not a great idea. So I like the reader to get to know the character they would a person. So if, if, if you're getting to know a person, you, you don't need a whole load of stuff about their background, but it's quite nice when you're fed small bits of information about it as you go through the story because as you get to know them, you get to, to understand their responses to things and, and sometimes to second guess what they might do, which is, again, part of connecting with a character in a book. I tend to do maybe three edits. Mm-hmm. I'll do one kind of dirty first draft for myself. I'll usually do another pass over that where I'll fill in the main details. Then I will give it to my editor who will give me some notes and I will then do another one on the basis of those notes. And that's usually all I need. Unless something unusual happens, unless I need to, sometimes I need to take the whole thing apart like a Rubik's Cube and put it back together again. And so if I do heavy structural editing, I'll probably do another one. But you know, three or four is, is usually enough for, for
1: what I do. Wonderful. Just going back to characters for a moment, when you have a series and you have returning characters, there's a it's usually a case of getting to know them a bit more, testing them harder than maybe, or in a different way than you did the time before. But when you have a new disruptive character like Rebecca Buckfast, does she, uh, how, how do you develop her in relation to to the series characters do you, do you think okay I'm she's in opposition to my my regular series characters she's going to test them in this particular way or does um or does she evolve as you're, as you're, as you're writing
2: well she evolved as I was writing but I'd also because I'd written about her before but she was a secondary character and so there wasn't anything from her perspective there was just her behavior and I thought oh she's an interesting person potentially she's got a story I don't know what it is um, when it came to writing An Narrow Door, her story very much came to the forefront. And the reason for that was because I had another story, which I'd written actually as a screenplay uh, for, for um, a TV company sometime before. And it was a school story um, and a ghost story, in fact. And, and for reasons, for various reasons, it never got made. But I still had this story kicking around in my head and i suddenly realized as i was messing around with with ideas i suddenly realized that actually this was buckfast's story and so i thought hey what if i put it in here and will it fit and it fit perfectly and i thought right okay this is this is how it's going to be which is why it has a slightly different tonal quality to the other books it's mm-hmm. it feels more like a supernatural it's 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 more that kind of story and also she is very much more in the forefront than antagonistic characters have previously been in in this series. And and that's partly why, because I I wanted to tell her story from a particular perspective. That doesn't always happen. But I like the element of surprise in characters, too. I I like opening a character up in a different way and going, ah, Mm -hmm. this is a whole new thing about them. I didn't know this. Let's go in. Let's explore this and do a deep dive on why this character is like that. And also when you do have returning characters like Roy Straitly how on earth are they going to cope with this if they find this out what will they do because very much with me in any way the, the the creation of drama has been very much always about putting people under pressure to see what they'll do just squeezing them to see where where the pressure is going to come out and how they're going to respond and what they're going to reveal of themselves when that happens and you know, will they still turn out to be this character of moral integrity, or or will we see them collapse? Is always an element of the the tension within any story that's that's character driven, like these.
1: Wonderful. Who are you going to be squeezing next, uh, Joanne? What's uh, what's coming up next for you?
2: Well, I have just finished the the ish first draft of a book called Broken Light which is a standalone book, although there is a little bit of a nod to Morbury in it, Um, although it's not a St. Oswald's book. And it's a kind of, (sighs) I guess it's it's a kind of feminist psychological thriller with some supernatural aspects to it. Um, Basically, imagine imagine if Carrie White hadn't died at the prom at all. If, if, <laughs> if she'd actually not, if none of that had happened and she'd lost her powers at 13 and none of that high school drama had happened and she'd lived to be a reasonably unhappily married woman of nearly 50 and she'd got her powers then. Oh. Imagine menopause, Carrie.
1: Oh, my God.
2: So that's my story.
1: I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pitch and that uh, to my I've wife. I've enjoyed it too <laughs> That sounds amazing. That sounds absolutely brilliant. Fantastic. Well, Joanne, over five years ago now, you were one of the first authors we interviewed for the podcast, and you've inspired countless, countless writers out there. I I did ask you, I made the mistake. I said, if you had any advice for aspiring writers, and you said, ditch the word aspiring, it's bullshit just right. And that's been a mantra. Throughout this five years, and it's inspired countless, countless authors out there, many of whom have gone on to get deals and self-publish and uh, publish in extraordinary ways and voices that might never have been heard otherwise. So we thank you from the bottom of our hearts for the ongoing inspiration, and we can't wait to read what you've you've got coming up next. Thank you so much.
2: And to you, thank you.
1: O-B-E. I know, couldn't it? Yeah, it doesn't fair. get
2: much better than that,
1: <laughs> does it? <laughs> well, Damehood is the one after oh. that. And then Queen, I'm not sure how it works. I, I don't really,
0: yeah. Wow. So, so tell me, Mark, when you, you did the um, in-person interview with Joanne mm. uh, at the theatre, uh, did she know about
1: the OBE yeah. before? Literally, yeah. was it that day that she it found was that out? Day, it was that day because <gasps> uh, they were all announced in the morning because it was Jubilee week. Because how, uh, how does that work? How do, how do you? How does someone get an OBE? Do they have to be mm-hmm. nominated, or you know what? I don't know. No. Uh, I think I think there is a, a selection process, mm-hmm. and that, and they look at people who've done something extraordinary in in their field. Because uh, Ian Rankin, he's Sir Ian Rankin now. So uh, he he was announced on the same day. Wow! Uh, and particularly if you've done a lot of work, I mean, this is why I mentioned uh, Joanne. You know, being part of the you know she's the chair of the Society of Authors, which is such an important force for good for writers in mm. in the UK. And she's been very vocal in standing up for the rights of authors. She talked there about making sure authors get paid at festivals. Um, And ALCS, uh, the Licensing and Collecting Society, they, um, they make sure that you know, when our books are photocopied, when we get stuff in magazines and also for screenwriters, I get stuff from ALCS for for screenwriting. When Robot Overlaws is shown on telly in Poland, I get a few quid. You know, it's nice <laughs> uh, so, um, <laughs> twice a year. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's stuff like that standing up for the author. And she's been absolutely brilliant about it. And as you know and and also you look at her social media and the stuff that she does it inspires authors every day it, it really yeah. really does so um it's,
0: she really it's does well in, she really does deserve you know mm. that recognition and and you're right i mean what she does in her outside of her well inside her writing life but as an, as a contribution to yeah. society yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know you, like you say you can, it embodies her you know like a, a regular twitter post It's always about helping authors and mm. and also just how she kind of um how well she answered those listener questions. You can tell she's she's done a few of those before, hasn't she? <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting in that she was one of the first, if not the first, authors we interviewed for the podcast. And in a way, I think she set the tone for the podcast. Well, I think you're I, right. Yeah, you know, listening to her and when she said, you know, ditch the word aspiring. It's it's bullshit. If you're a writer, you're if you write, you're a writer. And I thought that that yeah, I'm going to go forward with that. That's yeah. you know, this isn't about. You know, tricks or uh, you know, it's 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 about inspiring other people. If you're putting pen to paper, then you're one of us, and that's good enough for me. Exactly,
0: exactly. Well, let's talk about some of the things that came up in the interview. I was really fascinated mm-hmm. by um, the way that you know this visual of kind of like these ideas all floating together towards a kind of mothership. <laughs> Eventually, yes, the solar system. For, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it literally was like that. Yeah, it's a very interesting. Approach and a, a, a very freeing way of of coming up with and allowing the story to form rather than mm. sitting down and thinking right what 's my what 's my hook because a lot of times we try and force that you know we sit down and say right we've got, we 've got we need to nail this in one sentence before we start writing it, but I like the fact that Joanne gives herself time for those ideas to kind of all latch onto each other and then stands back and looks at it and thinks, Okay, so what have you got here? oh okay, this is what it is and it 's Often not what you maybe would expect, but that is some way maybe one of part of the magic of a storytelling is that it's something very very unique and Mm.
1: and and could never have happened any other way possibly. Yes, and giving it giving it time just to simmer and and to grow and I mean if you're going to stick with the solar system analogy, you know you've had your big bang. There's debris flying flying around all, all over the place, and it, eventually these planets accrete into something round and planet looking. You know, so I, and for me, it's with my notebooks, and I, I know I've bored listeners with this before, but you know my notebooks. There's one here which I haven't. There we go. Oh, hang on which I haven't touched in in months. And it was an idea that I I sort of jotted down some ideas and it wasn't quite working. And then just yesterday I thought, oh, aha. And then, you know, half a page there of notes. Mm. And I probably won't come back to that for weeks. I'll come back to that again, you know, in a few weeks when inspiration strikes again. I've got other projects. I've got, you know, my 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 main projects that I'm getting on with. But that notebook is where those ideas go. And that's, you know, and after time, it will hit, reach a sort of critical mass where I think, yeah, I've got the story now.
0: When you talk about those those planets, kind of all debris forming and planets, yeah. is that another another version of world building? Literally. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: right? yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. I guess is, it is, isn't it? I guess is it is. Kind yeah, of, yeah, it's yeah, kind yeah. of like yeah.
0: literally takes the... You know, the term in its in its literal sense so mm-hmm. um I also find that I mean I really want to talk about the experience that Joanne went through with breast cancer as well because I know she was very public about that but yes. listening to her talking about it was really interesting because it, it really honed me kind of to that really really important sense that thinking about what happened to, to Joanne it happened to her you know she she was She's a very established author. It's happening to her after she's written many, 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 many books. And I think about all those people that have been putting off writing a book for so mm. many years, and then something like that hits them. And then then they look back and think about all of the, you know, the, the the missed opportunities, if you like. and And it's a really important reminder for everyone out there. If you're kind of thinking of writing a book, if you're struggling getting through your first book and... You know, if, if you keep coming back to a book and, and you don't think you have the time, it's a really good reminder that you just never quite know what life's going to throw at you. And so, banking those words is is, is creating that legacy, creating those books. Um, and I just think it's really important for people to remember that because I think we can get too we can get too busy with life. Um, and I can imagine, from jo- Joanne's perspective, you know that it did probably come come right out of and hit a, like a, like a bolt out of the blue. But there must have been some comfort, in some you know strange way, of looking back and saying, "Look at all this incredible work that I've created over my lifetime. I've not wasted that time, or I've not um, I've 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 written I've been writing my dream out every single day, and people have been sharing that with the world. And this is what I really want people to kind of." to latch onto this idea of, are you really making the most of every day? Don't put off tomorrow,
1: a, right? I'm going to, I'm going to misquote this probably, but there's, there is a quote from Terry Pratchett who said, um, just before you die, your life does flash before your eyes. It's called living. <laughs> you know, because- yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is it, you know, you, you're, you've, you've, um, it's happening right now. It's happening right this very second, and it's gone. That second is gone. Oh, there goes another one, and there goes another. Yeah. Oh, oh, they keep. Yeah, we just before we hit record, we, we we realize it's almost the middle of June. How the bloody hell did that happen? I know. You know. Well, we said, didn't we? I said,
0: I said, I walked walked into the studio this morning, and it felt really warm. And I thought, finally, yeah. after two months of rain, it feels like summer. And then I look at my the date on my watch, and we're two weeks away from the longest day of the year, and I'm like, "No, yeah. I want yeah. more. This should be every year. Yeah. It happens every year, and it's a really good, you know, the passing of the seasons is another really good way of of reminding ourselves that
1: life move, life is time is moving forward, regardless of whether we move with it. Right. Yeah, like, life is life is for living. And if you're in your twenties, listening to this, going, "Pa." Trust me. Oh. When you get to, you know, I'm 49, uh, and it's like someone has put a brick on the accelerator. It's like whoosh, 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 whoosh. So yeah. I, this is why I'm spending every day writing, you know, as many words as I possibly can because um, it's the only chance I've got. You know, Do you know and- it's a bit of a bit of a kind of
0: scary thought for some people. I love this kind of discussion, but I learned that chickens have a certain number of eggs that they lay. It's kind of predetermined before they before right. they start laying, and they eventually lay their last egg. And for anyone who knows has chickens, you know those like old grandmother hens that you've got kicking around, not contributing got a, to the house. you outside, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, free. Yeah. but then they've done. You know, they, they've earned their, <laughs> their, uh, the their dividends, if you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. But it made me think the other day as I was looking at these chickens, I was thinking it's the same <laughs> for authors. In fact, I mean, we can use the author's analogy, but. Each author has a predestined number of words that they write in their lifetime. We don't know what it is, but we do know that if we don't write today, we've missed that opportunity
1: to bank those words. You're talking about predestination now, that's that's an even bigger topic and I'm not sure. We've, uh, I've got a hard out at six o'clock. I'm not sure we're going to cover that in the next 25 minutes. <laughs> deep dive, deep dive. But no, it's interesting, isn't it? Think
0: about that. Like if we miss, if we miss a day's writing, or a week's writing, or a month's writing, or a year's writing, those are days that we're never going to get back to write. And we know that you can't just, you can't cram, you can't cram your books like we used to cram our essays at school. You know, the night before. Like if if you're lying wow. there in your in your you know, on your deathbed, you're not going to be writing a book. So no, that's true. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. But you can if, cram words during the day, you know, five you, minutes here, five minutes there oh, on yeah, your yeah, phone. Yeah. You know, but it's about dictating. cramming. It's about
0: cramming regularly. Yeah, it's yeah. not, so my analogy is it's like, it's like Brewster's millions where he's, he's given a million dollars or whatever that he's got to get rid of in, you know, 24 yeah. hours. And, and I think too many people are putting off writing their book because they think I'll do it when, you know, the household's a bit little bit less busy when the kids are grown up, when I retire, all those things. And I think that's that's a really important thing that that Joanne's reminded us of that things can happen and things can yeah. change our outlook and change our ability to even write. You know, you look, I look at people who get dementia in their later years. You know, and that might yeah. be the years they plan to write their book, and now they're yeah, yeah, yeah. not capable of doing it. So. It's just, it just struck me. It's one of those big moments to say to everyone: if you're putting this off, don't put it off anymore. This, like, like Mark said, it's, living is happening today,
1: and you've just got to start writing. If that's your dream, you've just got to write. It's weird you mentioned Bruce's Millions? Not an hour ago, I was looking it up for a thing. What? Because uh, it was the novel. Really? The novel. The novel was written in 1902.
0: No way. And,
1: and there was a Cecil B. DeMille co-directed a silent version of the film, which is considered a lost film because a, a lot of silent movies got destroyed. There are hundreds yeah. of you know movies that we'll never see because they were destroyed. And then there was the, um, I think there was another version of it in the 50s or 60s. And then there was the Richard Pryor one, which is probably yeah, the one we all know. that's what I'm talking you know. about, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's so weird you mentioned that.
0: bizarre. Because Bruce's Millions is something that I use a lot in my coaching actually, because Mm -hmm. I always, I always relate it to like people that work hard all their life to, to build some kind of wealth. And then once they get to that, they hit that pinnacle, they're like, oh, um, what now? now? And then they try and give it all (laughs) away as quickly as possible in the latter years of their lives to try and do good, good in the world. And it's like this mad cap kind of like. Got to give it all away before I die, type thing. So um, <laughs> I always use that analogy for writing because I think it's we're giving away our in way in in a way when we're writing our words we're giving away our our stories. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we're capturing those because eventually they become public domain as well, like long after our death. Yes. Um, so it's yeah. very it's, there's a lot of analogies there, but yeah, it's a bit <laughs> early in the morning here. Actually, it's only it's not even ten o'clock, <laughs> but. I'm i what I wanted to say as well with Joanne is I'm so grateful to her to for being public about the experience that she had as yeah. especially as an author going through breast cancer I think a lot of people would you know not be able to do that and I think again it's another testament to her contribution that she's able to kind of talk about it and be open about yeah. it and be real about it and still mm. inspire people through through that journey which is fantastic mm. um she did also say as well, that linked to that, she said that she escapes from problems through fiction, which I thought was really interesting.
1: Yeah, well, I, I think most writers do, don't we? Or mm. like I've said before, it's how we make sense of the world. I, I like to pick a particular theme and, and tackle it and um, look at it from different angles and you throw different characters at it and see what happens and she talked about you know putting people under pressure to reveal what they'll do and this is the great what if that we love about writing if we if we had to like bruce did if we had to give away a million i think in the original book it was a million dollars in 24 hours or something like of course in the later versions it's a lot more how would we do that you know what would we do in that situation and that's why i think it's an enduring concept it's one of those ideas that you know you come back to it, and you think. Well, I'd do it this way. What would you do? I'd do it. I so it provokes thought, you know. Yes. So yeah, I think. um And uh, you know, when I walk through that door every morning and sit down at the desk, I'm not thinking about anything. And very often, I come down the stairs. I'm, I've got the first clue. I've usually left a note for myself. And Joanne, I love what Joanne says. She reads aloud every morning before moving on. Mm. You know. So I sit down, and that's it. Door closed. I'm, you know, um, when I was commuting and writing, it was headphones on, shut the world off, uh, here we go. And, um, yeah, it's my happy place. And it's – it's uh, I love it. And actually, on that note, Mark, we do have to clarify
0: what Joanne said. And this is my interpretation of it, but what Joanne said about editing as you go. Her version of editing as you go was reading aloud the words that she'd yeah. previously written – what we've talked about editing on the go being the biggest sin that an author does but when we talk about it we've always talked about it being as you write each sentence you're going back and changing a typo or you're yeah yeah, and 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 that's the thing that slows you down so it's an interesting version of editing as you go is that you're and it's reminded me of you doing your commute you know where you'd edit on the way home you'd write on the way to work you'd edit what you'd done on the way home yeah but it's having those two things in two pots.
1: Yeah. I'd be, you know, fresh and excited and alert in the morning, drowsy going home, but at least I could go through what I'd written and, and make changes and leave myself notes for the next morning. I mean, we we when we spoke to Michael Connolly, he said that he often goes back and rewrites stuff just as as a sort of run-up to break through the barrier of of the blank page. So he'd go back rewrite stuff and then by the time he got to the bit where he might be stuck his fingers are already moving he's already typing he's he's reacquainted himself with the themes and the situations and the characters and he just keeps going so mm. i think reading aloud every morning is is really interesting i've just just this week if you listened to last week at, at last week's episode you'll know that i realized that my antagonist wasn't working in my book and i've just spent the last week going back and completely rewriting some chapters mm. uh, because because of that and it's been um it's been really, really good fun actually. I you know we've we've said before get to the end and then go back and rewrite, but I because I know I can finish a book i've I've gone back and and just this morning I've got to the bit where I got stuck before because the antagonist wasn't working, and now I'm like, yes, here we go, I know what happens next mm. you know so there's um there is a lot to be said for that, just going back a bit and then breaking through going back a bit and breaking through of that if that there's no rules there's no hard and fast rules whatever works for you guys you know it's um you'll find your own way yeah and actually joanne joanne's
0: idea of reading aloud as the first thing she does it it did feel like that a warm up like a warm up stretch to get into mm. writing in the same way that joe hill plays the piano you know, to yes. get his mind going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in the same way that Michael Connelly does his kind of like rewind and, and yeah. you know, get a running jump into his writing yeah, session. Yeah, yeah. So these are all great, great tips and things I reckon, recommend that everyone should just try out, see what works for them. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Now, we, we're back to one of the greatest debated topics on the podcast not <laughs> aren't we? <laughs> Plotting v. panting, And I actually really liked how Joanne talked about this. She, mentioned, she said, I don't believe in a distinction between the two. Mm. And... I think as we've kind of matured through the podcast, we've we've grown more and more to that idea that you, you can be you can be either, you can be both, um, you can you can be one on one day, you can be another on another day, and we're actually doing we're kind of doing both all the time as a writer, aren't we? In some ways, and it was interesting to hear how Joanna had uh, Joanne kind of uh, viewed that.
1: Yeah, and and very often when we t- talk to people who. Uh, plan ahead and this is how I did it when I used to do it in very you know those very detailed outlines 50,000 words (laughs) um, is that it was essentially a skinny first draft a very skinny first draft where you're you're just not putting on the layers that you might necessarily have you know if you were pantsing it so you know every um Every form of storytelling is a is a is a journey of discovery. It's not like a novel ever just lands in your lap fully written. You know, you you've got mm. to you got to put the hours in and figure out what it's about. Some people do, you know, might like to do it in in beats and story blocks and then fill in the gaps. And that's all cool for you, you know. That's that what works for you. Uh, I mean, for me, going back to to handwriting has been the big change for me, and just write writing. Nonsense, and then, at some point that nonsense turns into something that might look like prose and that 's that 's how my day generally pans out so i 'm i 'm writing more words, but uh i 'm finding those first drafts are a bit cleaner than they used to be when they were an outline, mm. so yeah, whatever works for you absolutely and and then here 's another
0: one, another kind of rule breaker where we we hear a lot of authors they they create their entire backstory and they almost write a novel as a backstory and they write character outlines in yeah, huge yeah. detail. And it was really refreshing to hear the reason why Joanne doesn't do that. And, and the fact that she said, when you do that, there's a tendency to info dump at the beginning, of yeah. but you've got all this information that you want to tell, tell everyone about. And then she said, it's better to get you to know your characters gradually. Mm-hmm. And I thought, Absolutely, it's it's so blooming obvious. But in in real life, in real life, when we meet someone new for the first time, we don't just like tell them everything about our lives. Unless you're seen a therapist, of course. But, <laughs> right? but we don't we don't kind of like tell them everything. Like if you're playing, there's a dance that happens with people. Like think of dating, for example. There's a dance that happens where you go out for your first coffee date, and you kind of get you get to know each other a little bit, and then as you get further and further down say a relationship you get to know them all and then when you've been married to them say for like you know 20 years you know every single you know but even then
1: even but then even people then, will still surprise you. I absolutely. remember just, just yeah. a few years ago, <laughs> I don't know if I should say this, it was a Father's Day thing and I, me and my dad went out with my son, George, and we went, it was, it was you know, Dad's and Son's Day, went to cool. the Imperial War Museum in London, went around because- the Imperial War Museum, you know, it was really good. And uh, we're walking away and we're going down the Kennington Road uh, and my dad saw the police station there and he said, ah, kennington road nick yeah spent a few nights in there i was like what <laughs> and he said oh yeah 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 Drunk and disorderly when i was a young man you know oh like, dad and my my son's going cool and i'm like no it's not cool <laughs> you know? oh, so that's, that's my amazing. dad known him all my life you know so yeah yeah it's um dads are brilliant dads have got the best stories oh, when you become an my- adult Don't they? Oh God, my dad! I could tell you something. Well, but you forget—you
0: forget that they were once as daft (laughs) as we were. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They had to go through the process of making mistakes and learning yeah. from st- and as we both know having you know kind of um, young adult sons they're going <laughs> you know it's like the right of passage right they, yes. and everyone every 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 parent has to watch their kids but it's it's that kind of moment where the illusion shatters and you're like what you're not perfect dad yeah. i thought you were like
1: yeah. isn't it brilliant funny fun enough it. that's um that's what robot overlords is about thematically is that moment when you're a boy and you realize your dad is a human being and not mm. this person that you worship, you know, their their frailties and fears like everyone yeah. else. It's like, oh, I might have to do something myself rather than relying on my dad. You know? yeah. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a, a
0: very interesting a very mm. interesting rite of passage. And as a yeah, as a parent, you it's easy to forget as well when you see when you see your kids going through their stages of their life, it's easy to forget that that you've got to put yourself in their shoes and try and remember what it was like to think and see the world like they see the world yeah. at that age. You forget oh, we've yeah, got all this yeah, kind yeah. of wisdom and knowledge that we think we have, <laughs> but then everything's changed anyway. So what do we know, right? <laughs> but um, the, okay, the other bit I loved that Joanne said, which is brilliant, uh, squeeze a character and see what comes out. Like put them put them in a tension situation, throw a conflict in there. Um, we talked about this quite a lot on the podcast, but it, again, good to hear that re-emphasizes the importance of developing a character.
1: I, I needed to hear that this week as well, because um, one of the problems I had with my ending is I let, uh, this is the fourth Woodville book, I let Faye off the hook. Uh, I put her in a situation and she was like, yeah, okay, uh, and walked away from it. I'm like, actually, no. This really needs to hurt her. This really needs to bring her down and test her. And she needs to go away and think about it and come back with with a better solution than that. So it was a re- <laughs> it was really good to hear that this week. Because, there again, there is a tendency, if you love your characters, to let them off the hook a bit. No, 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 no. You've got to be horrible to them. You've got to, be, yeah. you've got to knock them down and, and see how they get up again. Put them you know? through the ringer. Oh,
0: yeah. As we did with Joe and Johanna in Back to Reality. Oh, like they absolutely. Did, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. they, we were we were really, really <laughs> evil, <laughs> evil, evil authors. But at the same time here, it's very important to remember. You know, it's, it's interesting because there's themes that come up again and again in the podcast. And people might think, well, I've heard this before. But it's like personal development books. You know, when you, when you read a personal development book, you get all you get all excited and pumped up. And that lasts for about a week. <laughs> <typically> <laughs> when you put the book. And then you get back into your old bad habits and then you pick the yeah. book up again a year later and think, Oh, why am I not doing this? And that's yeah. why it's great. Like to hear you say it's Mark, I need you to hear that this week. Now, you yeah. know, this stuff, you know it, but you have to be prompted and reminded. Yeah. And we all have to, as authors, we can't craft is about not just about learning the craft, but remembering it and <laughs> then using it and reusing it and then br- being reminded again. And that's why I love the fact that these topics keep coming up again and resurfacing yeah. Podcast Cause like you say, Mark, there'll be a thousand people listening to this right now. who will be like, yeah, I need to remember yeah. that this week as well. Yeah. And it's what you need to hear in that week where, wherever you're at in your journey of writing and everyone's at a different place right now. Some people are struggling with their beginning. Some people can't finish their book. Others don't know what to do in the middle of the book. Some people are stuck with a character, but ultimately there's always something that we all need to rehear. And uh yeah. um, yeah. yeah, I think it's no, too true. Absolutely. Very true. Excellent. Well, thank you to Joanne for coming on the show again and inspiring yes. us. Absolutely brilliant. Congratulations on the OBE. Absolutely brilliant. I must say, Mark, I've written this list uh, that we're launching on the Academy soon, which is this milestones chart. <laughs> we've we worked it's on this OBE on there well there. the funny thing is it's not on there it's not on there it's got all it these like, things like you know Booker's MBE, booker Prize CBE,
1: OBE, I'm not sure yeah. what all they go in Knighthood yeah you have to get more on there it's kind of funny isn't it but, National uh, Treasure that's the top national, one isn't it? National Treasure yeah
0: that's the kind of that's the kind of the people's OBE in some ways and actually that <laughs> applies to whatever country you're in because I realise a lot of people can't get OBEs because you know mm. uh, they're not part of the Commonwealth but but National treasure. That's what everyone should be aiming for. Wouldn't yeah. it be brilliant? Wouldn't it be brilliant? At the end of your life if you're in a obituary, it said, "Mark Stay was a national treasure." Like
1: that, <laughs> it just it
0: almost doesn't get better than that. I think, in terms of,
1: yeah, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> hey,
0: you never say never. You never say never. I mean, who knows, right? Contributions to podcasts, either. I mean, who knows,
1: right? <laughs>
0: Yeah. Think about it. Think about it. Hopefully we've got a bit of time left. Might be doing a little bit more of this. Yeah. But um, no, I think it's brilliant and very well deserved. And I think um, it should inspire everyone today. If you if you weren't inspired to get writing before that interview, I hope you are today. Yes. Um, and talking about inspiring stories, what's happening on social media this week, Mr. Stay?
1: We've got well, actually it's interesting you just said you've inspired people, Mr. Stay You. Uh so uh Josh Atkinson on the BXP group and our Facebook group, he said yesterday I I jump-started my motivation with a Mr. D visualization walk through the old library. And this is something you suggest, isn't it? Walk through a bookshop or a library and think about where your books are shelved. So Josh said, I, I took a look at where my books would be shelved. If I if I write enough, I could bump Margaret Atwood to a new shelf. And I think it's an Ooh. omen that I could see Michael Conley just beside me. His latest episode was fantastic. Thank you, Josh. And he also took a picture of the comic book bookshop where he'd like to hold his bookshop book launch it's a local comic shop who recently opened a licensed bar in the back and it's called the hooded goblin and it's the oh, kind of it. bookshop that i cannot walk past if i see his shop called the hooded goblin i guarantee i'm going in <laughs> yeah so um josh this is brilliant i mean you're in great company kate atkinson margaret atwood you know so it's uh yeah one day mate one day lots let's of great see a book authors. there.
0: A-listed yeah. authors.
1: Oh, he's Ooh. an A-listed
0: author. The only <laughs> the only problem, Josh, with that word shelved is it? When I hear the word shelved, I think of the opposite. I think, oh, my book's been shelved. It's like being pitched, <laughs> but I love it. I love it. Maybe we should adopt that term: shelf, shelf, shelf booking. And uh, yeah, I mean, if uh, you know, you've got your parents to thank for getting you A in the Yellow Pages. I mean, that's that's
1: a bonus, isn't it? Really, right? <laughs> Fantastic. Uh- We've got a public declaration from Rachel Howes as well. Uh, now, she, she's had a, a bit of a year, our Rachel. She's, she's moved, which is always stressful. Mm. Uh, she recently got COVID as well. I know she also has fibromyalgia, which which you know, is is a, a one hell of a condition to live with as well. But she says, look, things are looking up. See, that's the attitude, Rachel. She said, I got myself an accountability buddy and we chose one morning during the last week to sit down at the same time and do what authors are meant to do. We checked in with each other hourly and I got some productive stuff done. It was a huge morale boost for me and reignited the spark I needed. So I need to revise my 2022 public declarations. She said, I was worried about doing it as, as I'm very paranoid about other people's perceptions and that in itself, Stirs the bubbling cauldron of my anxiety and depression. But then again, I know this place is a safe place, space. So it is, yeah. So The Porcelain Hand, her novel, is going to be to readers by 14th of July. Uh, and Poetry Anthology is going to launch on the 31st of July. So those are in the diary, Rachel. Uh, I'll be checking in on those. Deadlines. As Douglas Adams said, love the whooshing noise they make as they go by. But you know, you've set some. You've got a you know an accountability buddy. This is all good stuff. That's huge, huge steps.
0: Congratulations, Rachel. Yeah, I love accountability buddies. You cannot underestimate the value of them.
2: Absolutely. Um, which is why we Absolutely. have them
0: in the academy because it's yeah. it's it's hard actually sometimes to find someone who's like minded and can either keep up with you or
1: go at the pace that you want to. So that's a brilliant, brilliant step forward, Rachel, and every success to you. Fantastic. And uh, people sending in their favourite bookshops. Folks, if you've got a favourite bookshop, send it in. Let us know about it. We're dying to hear about them. Uh, Simon Gallimore recommends Munro's Books in Victoria, BC. Old-fashioned shop, eclectic, and I always find something I never expected there, which is always a joy in any I, I bookshop. I went there, Mark, only only. Three weeks ago, for the first time, absolutely brilliant. brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Well, we'll so. we'll put a link in the in the show notes to that, so you can check that out. Sheila McClure. Well, we have got a whole list from Sheila. Uh, Rother Books in Battle, amazing friendly service. The owner has read nearly everything in there, and also Eagle Harbour Books in Banbridge Island, uh, WA. Such a good store with an opulence of staff. Recommends an incredible selection of books. Pacific. Pacific Northwest Trinkets. I can't even say that. I put my teeth in, Sheila. And Lovely Service. So thank you very much for that. And you remember, uh, I think it was last week, we got a recommendation for Right Blend uh, Bookshop. Well, we've got another one from Steve Gowland. Uh, Steve... Gallant says, I can recommend Right Blend in North Liverpool. Uh, this is the shop that has books, but also vinyl as well. And oh, yeah. uh, he, he recommends the, the owner, Bob Stone, who's also an author, has helped many local little represented authors uh, by offering free book launches over the last seven years. The shop has been open. is a champion for all writers and a ruddy good bloke. His books are excellent too. So, Bob, we salute you. on, Bob. Front front door,
0: as featured on the Bestseller Experiment poster, go for it. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like
1: a legend, doesn't he? Yeah, it really does. Really, really (laughs) does. So if you want to drop us a line, uh, find us on bestsellerexperiment.com. There's a contact tab there. Or find us on social media with uh, Bestseller Experiment on Facebook and on Twitter and Instagram. We are at BestsellerXP. And if you've been inspired by Joanne Harris today, please give us a rating. Uh, Subscribe. Tell your friends. Tell your writers group. Spread the word. And if you'd like to get our
0: newsletter every week on email, pop along to the website and click on the newsletter tab, that's bestsellerexperiment.com. If you're interested in getting the writing habit for life, the 200 word challenge is your place of, oh, just just where you have to start folks. It's, it's awesome. It's brilliant. Just go there, 200wordchallenge.com. And if you're ready to take your writing to the next level academy.bestsellerexperiment.com with mark and i application window is open now shuts at the end of june so mark have a fantastic week sir enjoy yourself all the best with your writing and uh look forward to chatting with you next week so it's a goodbye from mark one and a goodbye from mark two goodbye